0: Turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 3. We're going to read verses 7 through 19. And then we will dive into this. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea And a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases passed around him or pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God and he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boaz, Bonerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon, the Cananean and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the reading of your word. We thank you that it is living and powerful today, just as it was when Mark wrote it. God, we pray this morning that we would receive from the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, what you need us to receive. Lord, I pray our hearts would be open and we would be willing to hear what the Spirit is saying this morning. God, give us those ears, I pray, and help me to communicate in a way that's effective for everyone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm excited about this this morning because we get to talk about the disciples. Um, I think... uh, I think how many of you are watching Chosen? Raise your hand if you've watched Chosen or familiar with it uh, The one piece about that that I would call valuable is the visual that it gives you as you read through the gospels there's There's some debates around all the accuracy and all that, and that's going to happen. However, there's a lot I think that's good about it that outweighs any of the criticisms that I've really heard but Reading through this list of disciples, I know, and my girls are at home right now watching this, I know what they're doing, because they have discovered just a completely different uh, appreciation for who these people were that Jesus called to be his disciples. And as you noticed in parentheses in my Bible, it says they were the apostles. We're going to look at these guys closely in just a moment. But first, let's let let's talk about verses uh, 7 through 12, where Jesus is following a pattern that we've seen throughout the book of Mark. Jesus will do these miracles, he will have these events, and then he retreats back somewhere. And uh, it's either the wilderness or the sea. And we're only in Mark chapter 3, okay? So this pattern is something you're going to see I'm reading some commentaries, and they, you really get into the weeds uh, in the commentaries. And in the commentaries, they're bringing up a, a theme that Mark has, is this wilderness theme that Jesus keeps returning to solitude. And there's definitely something that all of us can get from that, in particular, the need to get alone with God in your life on a regular basis. That could be its own lesson And you can take that home, and that is really important. But here he gets away with the disciples, and a crowd is following him. The crowd is following because all of chapter 1 and 2 are demons screaming when he walks in the room, and he's casting the demons out, he's telling them what to do. They're not used to seeing people ordering demons around. Nor are they used to demons just screaming because he walked into the room. If you walked or if you were in a crowd and this guy shows up and people start screaming in demonic possession, you would take notice, right? You would take really close notice. And then he heals withered hands. The Pharisees are furious. He's healing lepers. that's already happened here in Mark. His fame, without Twitter, without Facebook, without Reddit, without any. Thing that we use to go viral, Jesus has completely captivated the Capernaum region, the Galilean area. They are talking about this guy, so they're talking about him because of miracles, which is exactly what we would do. It's exactly what we would do. Did you hear about this? What happened? Did you hear about what happened on the east end of town? Did you hear? That's what, exactly what we would be doing. That's why it lists this whole region around all these different towns, cities, Judea, Jerusalem. Mark is trying to get across to us that this, this impact, he, Jesus is like this bomb that goes off and the shock waves have went out all around the area and people are coming to see who is this guy. As we're going to see throughout the book of Mark, unfortunately, the majority of the interest in Jesus has nothing to do with holiness, godliness, faith. It has to do with, I want to see a miracle, or I need one. When the great crowd, you see that, when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. He told his disciples, to Have a boat ready. This was an escape route. He's smashed up against the sea. The crowd is pressing around him. And that's what it says. Have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. Have you ever seen some of the videos of some of the World Cup games? One of the tragedies that happened uh, when all those fans were trying to rush into one spot and they smashed four. I think it was 14 people died. It's about 15, 20 years ago. Because the crowd was so great, it smashed them. there were thousands of just lunatic, crazed soccer hooligans or football hooligans, I guess you would say in Europe, and they, they the crowd literally crushed, and Jesus, avoiding knowing that this is what a crowd is like, says, "Have a boat ready, I'll step in the boat, I'll skid it, scoot out to a little bit, and he can continue to, to preach and to talk so that that's This is what the ministry of Jesus was like. Just people pressing in, wanting to get close in this early ministry. We want to see the miracle worker. Notice the demons, and it says he healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him. So once people start getting healed, people are trying to touch him. Like the woman with the issue of blood later, which we know that story. They're trying to get close to touch They want healing, which is a normal thing for anybody to want who is sick. It's not that that's abnormal, that's normal. Here's a guy that's doing it. The demons have a different reaction. They cried out, they fall down before him, you are the son of God. The demons know who Jesus is. I've heard it said many times that that the devil did not really understand. He understood. He understood. These demons know who he is. Something really interesting is is Jewish exorcisms and uh, the traditions that they had. I've already explained this earlier in chapter 1, but just to remind everybody, they would try to get the demon to share its name. Because the name in itself... If you could get a demon to do that, then in some way, shape, or form, you could have some sort of authority over it. Jesus actually does that once later with the pigs. He asks what its name is. It's the only time that he does that. But here, uh, Jesus just tells them to shut up. The difference in authority and power in Jesus is unbelievable. He just tells them to shut up, and they do. They're actually preaching. They're saying you're the Son of God. They're accurate. Jesus doesn't want demons preaching on His behalf. And He tells them to shut up. You can also take away from that it's not time yet for Jesus to make His full-fledged, final, passion ministry. This this is still in the beginning of the ministry. He's not ready to draw all that attention that He will. He's got a job to do. Preaching Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's his message. But what he does need to do is what happens in the next verses, which is, I've got to put these disciples together, and I am choosing specifically 12 guys that I am going to train for ministry. He goes up on the mountain. He's somewhere in this read, There's mountains all over the place. Mark doesn't tell us which mountain thank God he doesn't tell us which one, because we'd go build something on it and worship it. That's what people like to do. That's what we're like. I'm the same way. Uh, if, if you had a, uh, I f- this, uh, somebody we knew had a, a copy or a Bible, a Gutenberg Bible, why in the world would I be interested in that? Couldn't hardly read the thing. Because it's really old and really cool, and some really old people may have touched it. Isn't that how we are with things? If you found out that uh, a famous person was over here at this place that we all know, wouldn't you be like, oh, cool. You mean, like Tom Cruise was at the Keith Alby when they did the, uh, uh, the Rain Man movie. You guys remember? Anybody remember that? Is that like, oh, that's, that's really cool. That's just the way that we are. So Mark doesn't tell us. He just says he's in the mountain. And he appointed those whom he desired. Now, the the gospel of Luke in that account of this happening in Luke 6, it says Jesus prays all night when he does this. Jesus goes on the mountain. He prays all night long. Then he appoints those whom he desires. He has fellowship with the Father because he has a mission. He's going to select 12 men that are utterly unqualified. Totally, completely unqualified for ministry. These are not the people you would pick. Verse 14 He appointed 12, whom he also named apostles. We'll come back to that. So that they might be with them and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Mark 6 will tell us that they also will have the authority to heal. They're going to preach, they're going to cast out demons, they're going to heal. And What has Jesus been doing? He's been preaching, casting out demons, and healing. He is going to delegate to them as his special emissaries, these twelve, the same exact ministry. We're going to come back to that. Let's look at who they are. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, which is rock. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. So James and John are brothers, which we already know they're uh, fishermen. To whom he gave the name Bonerges, that is the sons of thunder. It's a nickname. Andrew, which is... Peter's brother, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew. Earlier he was called Levi, the tax collector. And Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the Cananean, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Let's go through these guys um, that he desired. And the first thing I want to read before I go through it is, i is just you don't have to turn there, but just for reference, I'm going to read you 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 26. Something we need to keep in mind as I talk about these guys. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being, might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, the Father, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God's choices are not predicated on human ability or performance. The quicker you all learn that, the more peaceful and humble you will be. God's choices are not because you are good-looking and smart and well-qualified, though you may be those things. God's choices are based on His mercy, His grace, His sovereign will. You don't even get to vote. Jesus selects and handpicks twelve disciples. Simon Peter, a rock, a loudmouth, one of my favorite characters, brash, arrogant, but the leader in all the gospel accounts, Peter is mentioned first. Then he mentions James and John, their brothers, their fishermen, Peter's a fisherman. These guys are so exuberant in, ze- in their zeal, that they get their mom to ask Jesus, who's going to be on his right hand and his left hand? I want—I'm securing a position here for my boys, the sons of thunder. Uh, I need—I need to know, Jesus, you're going to put them uh, at your right hand and your uh, left hand in the kingdom. And Jesus, is like, uh, you don't know what you're asking. Also, these are the same guys that when they were rejected in one of their ministry efforts, their solution was Jesus. Shall we call down fire from heaven and burn them to a crispy little cinder right where they stand? Praise God for your mercy It endures forever. Let's burn them up. Jesus like, no, relax. Andrew, Peter's brother, also a fisherman. We don't know as much about Andrew, but we know he's Peter's brother. We know that he's a fisherman. Philip, we don't know a lot about Philip Bartholomew. This is not a real name. This is a nickname. It's, it's, called a, uh, it's called a patronym. It's a family name. And he is probably the guy in John called Nathaniel, in whom there is no guile. Remember the story where Jesus sees him sitting under the t- tree, but he sees him in the spirit. And when he meets Nathaniel, he says, you're impressed that I knew this? You're going to see greater things than this, Nathaniel, Bartholomew. Matthew, Levi, the tax collector. This makes a lot of sense, Jesus. Let's throw the most hated group of people possible into the mix as a part of the ministry team. This is a very wise decision, Jesus, because Matthew, the tax collector, would have been despised. But there he was. He was part of it. Thomas, who we know later will become Doubting Thomas. The one who says, unless I see the print of the nails. Unless I see it, I'm not going to believe it. And then Jesus comes in the room. He says, you believe because you see. Blessed are those who believe and don't see. Thomas gets a bad rap. He goes and evangelizes a little nation called India. According to church history. James, the son of Alphaeus. um, He is... Distinguished because there's multiple James, including um, James the, uh, the Son of Thunder. He's also called James the Less. In the, in the Greek, it's the word micro. And uh, the Chosen actually did a good job with this and called him Little James. And we think that's probably exactly what that meant. There was a James the Fisherman who may have been a more manly man, bigger guy. And then James the Less. It's very possible that he was a, uh, a shorter guy in stature. Now, let's just be honest, guys, and confirm with me if I'm right. If we like each other, we uh, make fun of each other. Is this true? Guys, can I get an amen on that? The, way that? the way that guys get along with each other is to when you're growing up, you punch each other, uh, you shove each other. Have you ever watched an NFL game? Have you ever wondered if they hurt each other, like they're grabbing each other's helmets and smashing their heads together? Because they like each other and are proud of what they just did. Doesn't make, I know it probably doesn't make sense, but this is the camaraderie of men. It's a lot of Neanderthal stuff going on. But that's, that's, that's kind of probably what life may have been like with them. James, the micro boy. I don't know. I, I don't, you know I, if I was there, that may have been what I said. But think about it, too. The disciples are probably in their 20s. Okay, these we have these pictures in our head of, of these old gray, that's years down the road here following Jesus, young men. Thaddeus, probably a nickname. I was listening to John MacArthur, and he makes this point that Thaddeus can be translated in a loose way as mama's boy. Um, Again, a fun little nickname for one another. He's also called Judas, the son of James, in Luke chapter, chapter six. So he's got a couple different uh, names. When you read the gospel, when you read the different accounts, you see some of those names, like Bartholomew is probably Nathaniel, and Thaddeus is Judas, son of James. Simon the Zealot. Now, your translation, mine, it says the Cananean. That just means uh, that is an alliteration. It is. Really, it's, it means a zealous one or a zealot. It is a political term, meaning that Simon was probably a guy young and eager to overthrow Rome. So eager that what we know about the zealots is they kept daggers in their cloaks. This is really cool. They kept daggers in their cloaks in case they met a Roman soldier who was separated from the group in which case they would murder him. That's what the zealots did. They also had organized campaigns, but that's what group he was a part of. Now, just just for fun, just to think about what Jesus is putting together here as a ministry team, as leadership that's going to, according to Acts, turn the world upside down. Jesus throws into the mix a zealot, with a tax collector who has betrayed his Jewish brothers and sisters by taxing them unfairly, and you have a zealot who's dedicated to the overthrow of Rome, and he put those two together. Hatfields and McCoys. Let's just stick him on the same team. That's, that's what Jesus did. And then Judas Iscariot, which means from the village... Carry off. he's an outsider, the one who betrayed him. We know what happens to Judas. He's greedy. He's stealing from the ministry. Later, the Bible says Satan enters his heart, and he betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. These men turned the world upside down. I read the verse in Corinthians because we need to have in our hearts and minds the knowledge that God is not choosing people based on their merit. He is choosing the ones that He wants, and He's glorified when tax collectors and hot-headed sons of thunder and fishermen that think they know everything, none of which are formally educated, none of which have any real pedigree except perhaps Matthew, turn the world upside down with the gospel. It is incredible to think about These guys are not regular people. We are all called to be disciples, but these guys are not quite the same because none of us walked, slept, ate, cried, and laughed with Jesus in person. I cannot wait to get to heaven, and I am definitely asking for the entire season of the life and ministry of Jesus to watch on whatever version of Netflix heaven offers so that we can see what that looked like. I want to watch what that was like. Here's how we know these guys are not just normal. They are the 12 foundational apostles. There will never be another group like this. Go to Luke chapter 22. I just want you to see Something that Jesus says about the disciples slash apostles the twelve I want you to see it in your Bible what he says about them that is unique. He tells them in verse twenty eight luke twenty two verse twenty eight You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. You and I are not going to sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. But these guys are. Never really considered this. But that's what they're going to be doing. Why did Jesus choose twelve? Because there were twelve tribes. It would not have been lost on the early first century people, what was going on. Turn with me to Revelation. Chapter 21. You know it's exciting if we go to Revelation, right? Revelation 21. We're going to start reading with uh, verse 10, actually. This This is the new heaven and the new earth passage. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel like a jasper clear as crystal and at a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed on the east 3 gates on the north 3 gates on the south 3 gates and on the west 3 gates and the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them the foundations were the 12 names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The city, the new Jerusalem, will have on the gates the twelve tribes. All of God's covenant promises to Israel. And on the foundation, the twelve names of the apostles. Thaddeus will be there. James the Less will be there. Peter, John, There is a connecting of the dots. There is a bringing together of the covenant people of God out of the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles in the New Testament. God is here in Revelation as he sums up everything and the consummation of history says, this has been my covenant intention from the beginning to gather a people together from old covenant and new covenant, one in Christ. It's going to be awesome. If you go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Sometimes it's just good to turn your Bible to the passages, right? To look at it with your own eyes. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is about us as Christians. We are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What household? Well, this household, according to verse 20, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being himself the cornerstone. God is building a house. In fact, he keeps going and says, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The people of God are a building of God that is joined together. All of the uniqueness that's in this room and the world of Christians throughout history are being built together in the Lord by the Spirit, and we are sitting on top of a foundation that was created by the apostles and the prophets, which I take to mean the writings and the scripture of the New Testament and the Old Testament and what they laid down. Here it is. It's incredible what God did with these twelve. It is absolutely incredible what He did with hot-headed fishermen and zealots with daggers in their cloak, and tax collectors ripping off their fellow Jewish brothers and sisters. God took these people, turned the world upside down, and is building a foundation on it. Turn the page, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 4 and 5. Just to round this out on how important the apostles, these 12, were, Verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. God held off all the ages of the Old Testament from fully revealing what he was going to do in Christ. But now, Paul says, This has been revealed through the apostles and prophets. Why are they so important? They were the vessels that God chose to reveal to the world for all eternity the purposes of God consummated in Christ. It's called the New Testament. And you have it sitting in your house all this week and next. These guys are important. When Jesus calls them in Mark chapter 3, the reason he stays up all night is because the plan of God is to build a foundation on these 12 men. They did not look like much. The Pharisees, as we keep going through the book of Mark, are going to make it very clear how little they think of Jesus and his disciples they prove that they aren't all that great. They run away in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter denies Jesus within 24 hours of proclaiming an undying devotion. I would die, Lord, before I left you. I've never heard of him. Three times. The final time with cursing. The rooster crows. I love Peter. I need Peter to be in the Bible. I need him in there because I relate to the failure. It's not where the story ends. I want to give you what happened to these guys after the day of Pentecost, after they were filled with the Holy Spirit, after they began the ministry that Jesus called them to. They turn the world upside down. They're thrown in prison. We can read through the book of Acts, and we have, and you see the dramatic boldness of these guys. Peter, according to the historian Eusebius, is crucified upside down at his request, not feeling worthy to be crucified right side up because Jesus was crucified right side up. James is actually told to us in the book of Acts, one of the sons of thunder, he was executed by Herod Agrippa. His brother John is the only one who made it and died in old age, but he died on a prison island, Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation. Andrew was also crucified, but they didn't nail him to the cross, they tied him to the cross so he would live longer and suffer more. Philip we are told, was stoned to death somewhere in Asia Minor for preaching in Jewish communities. Bartholomew Nathaniel was drowned at sea or crucified, we're not sure. Matthew is recorded he was burned at the stake. Thomas goes to India, spreads the gospel amongst the Indian people, and then is speared to death. James the Less is also stoned by Jews for preaching. Simon the Zealot, he preached in Egypt, North Africa, and Persia. And then they sold him in half, like they did the prophet Isaiah. Thaddeus goes to Turkey, modern-day Turkey. Spreads the gospel, preaches, and then he's clubbed to death because of it. I'm emotional, as I think, not of the deaths that they died. Though that is emotional. God picked a bunch of regular people to do His work. He did not go in and pick special, wealthy well-connected people that could get the job done. A certain what he picked: fishermen and tax collectors and zealots. People. I, I mean, for all we know, Simon could have murdered a couple people. We don't know. We don't know. They turned the world upside down. In Acts seventeen six, the leaders of the city in Ephesus complain because they are there. He says, these are the people who have turned the world upside down. Our names are not going to be on the foundation stones in the city of Jerusalem that's coming down in uh, Revelation 21. We are not going to sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. However, we are in fact disciples of Jesus Christ. We are in fact disciples Chosen by him to do things for the kingdom of God. So I want you to go back to Mark chapter 3, and I want you to see quickly as we close something for you to take away from what I, the inspiration of hearing about these guys. Verse 14, he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. They had to be with him in training. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, when Peter is preaching in front of the group that arrested him, they say in Acts 4 13, they say, when they recognized they were uneducated men and perceived the boldness, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I would love for the accusation to be of Celebration Church that we don't have the glitziest building or facilities or ministry outreaches or whatever, but I would love it to be said of all of us, they are with Jesus. And we can tell because the fruit of their life and their ministry, and the way they pray, and the way they serve, the way they love, the way they forgive, the way that they worship is not perfunctionary, rote, mundane, religious, because you're here and supposed to do it, life, but because we belong to Christ and we are with Him. The takeaway for me, out of this is, Jesus calls these disciples to Himself to personally disciple them. But He had a message of hope for us in John chapter 14 when He says, it is good that I leave you. And they say in John 14, these same disciples, it's not good. What do you mean? He says, if I leave, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. I will not leave you helpless. I am sending you a helper. Church, we on this side of the cross, on this side of John 14, having the foundation of the apostles and the prophets in our hands and the Holy Spirit in our hearts can fellowship with Jesus. Not around a campfire. Yes, that would have been awesome. Incredibly awesome but we can fellowship with Him through His Word and through prayer and through fellowship with one another and grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what we as a church should be, must be doing. Be with Jesus this week. Be with Him. My my prayer life is convicted. I'm convicted about my prayer life when I read this. when I I recognize Jesus keeps going off and disappearing to pray, to do these important things. Take Jesus at his word. Go where he calls you to go. If you don't know where he calls you to go, I have good news. You are somewhere right now, aren't you? You're you're somewhere now. So, So you don't have to go look for some other thing. You've already got a thing a job a family right here right now be ready and if you say i'm not ready of course you're not you're a loudmouth fisherman you're a tax collector you're a zealot you're one of us jesus can use you and will use you to diffuse the fragrance of his knowledge in every place Get to know Jesus this week and the week after. Fall in love with Him again. Do not treat Him like a mechanical, religious, robotic thing or an intellectual exercise to pursue. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, dwells in your heart through the Holy Spirit. Fellowship with Him this week. Don't know where to start? Just open your Bible and start reading. Pray. Ask God to do something in your heart. Ask God to shave off the calluses or melt the ice that you may feel. And don't wait for a feeling. Read and pray and trust. I would love to be accused of turning the world upside down. Amen? Let's all stand up. We're going to pray. i to do something I've not done in a long time. I want you all to bow your heads. I want to ask you to do something because this is just really between you and the Lord this morning. I'm not going to ask anybody to come up front, but I'm asking you to take serious stock just where your relationship with Jesus is now. I want you just by a raising of your hands to acknowledge before God this morning. If this has touched your heart, to just say, Lord, I want to know you more than I do. I want to follow after you with all of my heart. I Don't want to be a Christian that just goes through the motions. I want to be passionate for you. I you to just lift your hands and say, Lord, I want that. And I want us as we end to just call on His name together. Father, we ask this morning that you would turn our hearts towards you. That you would fill our hearts with desire for you. God, as we read this, my heart longs for more of you. Lord, where we are undisciplined and unruly and filled with guilt and whatever else prevents us, God, I pray you deal with all of us and all the different ways we need dealt with. And God, pray and thank you that you would lead us by your Spirit in paths of righteousness for your namesake. Lord, do great things through this humble group of people. God, help us to make an impact in this community and in this city, in this area. Let us be disciples of Jesus that the world around us recognizes that we are indeed with you. Lord, I thank you for that. In the precious name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Church, you are officially dismissed. Thank you all so much.